Hello and welcome to the We Are Habs podcast, the show that lifts the lid on some of the old girls and boys who, after leaving haberdashers, have made their mark on the world. I'm Elliot Godkin, Meadows, 87 to 94. I'm a journalist, master of ceremonies and host of the FN Tech podcast. My guest today is an entrepreneur and co-founder of Leon Restaurants, which was sold last year for a reported £100 million. He's the founder and former chairman of the UK's Council for Sustainable Business, and in 2015 received an MBE for his work on the school food plan designed to improve nutrition for more than 5 million school children. John Vincent, welcome to the We Are Habs podcast. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, great to see you. Uh, how are things uh, where you are right now? That's such a great broad question. I mean, I don't know. I could either do you want micro or macro. How are you today? <laughs> I'm well. I'm well. I think I'm great. well. I'm well. Yeah, I'm in Sussex today, and uh, it is actually really cold. And I'm and I'm generally okay. I think. Yeah, got quite a lot on. Actually, I don't know about you, but quite a lot on. Wonderful. Well, it's been a slow start to the year from my side, but uh, we'll get to well, we're going to focus on you. I think so. I mean, as well as being, of course, a health crisis, we're still in the midst of this pandemic um and of course you know there was a health crisis they they caused lots of lockdowns and other other problems for the economy um restaurants were whacked especially hard of course because uh, they mostly had to close down except when they were allowed to start delivering how 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 did you deal with that because at the start of the pandemic i know that now it's it's no longer your problem but certainly for the first part of the pandemic you know you were still very much uh, in charge and at the wheel of leon restaurants yeah, I mean, we in, the, in about sort of two weeks before uh, lockdown was announced in the UK, we saw a halving of our, of our sales. And then probably we saw about 85% reduction or 90% reduction in our sales. And obviously for a fixed cost business, that's not great. Um, uh, now, actually, we, we were the only chain or group of restaurants that stayed open. Um, everywhere else shut. And the reason we said open is we, uh, although we were losing money, we wanted to support the uh, the people that were still working, in particular the NHS teams were working at ITU. So we created something called Feed NHS. I won't talk too much about it, but we created something called Feed NHS. We served a million meals to um, uh, frontline workers, a lot through Leon. Uh, and I guess we, we were pretty stubborn. You know, we didn't want to close. We thought that life had to go on. And even though everyone else closed, uh, the teams in the restaurants supported me in staying open. And that literally there was nowhere else. You know, the canteens were shut. All other chains, all other shops were shut, and we were the only people that stayed open. I, I, I think there might be a couple of other exceptions, but uh, obviously we were losing money. We continue to lose money throughout uh, the lockdowns, and it's been a ma- it was a major disaster for um, a number of industries, uh, including ours. And looking back, you you feel you made the right decision to stay open? Uh, de- I mean, definitely. I mean, we've got one of the things which we you know, we taught um, the teams even prior to the pandemic was something will go wrong. We don't know what. I mean, we there's a mantra um, in a book that I uh, co-wrote, which I'm not going to talk too much about, called Winning Not Fighting. One of the chapters is Expect to be Punched. Um, it's, a, it's a book about martial arts that we do called Wing Chun. And, you know, although um, we didn't know it was going to be a pandemic, it could have been another disaster, We've always tried to prepare the teams for something going wrong. I mean, we had we were in the borough knife attacks where our head office and our um, uh, one of our biggest restaurants was inside the exclusion zone, um, shut off for a while after the borough attacks. Um, 
two team members were involved in the Westminster attack on the bridge. And we, we, we explained to people something will go wrong. You just don't know what it is. And we were, we were very minded that in Hurricane Katrina, Walmart did better than the federal government in supporting the people of New Orleans. So, you know, we, we talked about that before uh, and we were very sort of stubborn and proud, I think, uh, in the idea that we would stay open. Um, and I think it's important from an internal perspective as well as an external perspective that people know that's the attitude. You get on with stuff. Uh, you don't give up. And was this, uh, I'm sure in your career, uh, you've, you've faced a number of challenges. Would this definitely be kind of out there as the most challenging thing you've ever had to deal with? Yeah, I think it's good. It's good. I think, I remember someone saying, I wouldn't invest in a business that hasn't seen at least one downturn. Um, because I think that things going wrong, and I've had a few things going wrong in my business career, but um, you know, inside the businesses and personally, running out of money, myself personally, I think all of these things actually serve to make an organization stronger. I was at Bain before that, and the growth that came from Bain after it almost went bankrupt was phenomenal. Um, and um, I think that it's really important that, um, you know, when you do have a, a major thing like this, um, that you prepare for the next one, if that makes sense. So I probably, to answer your specific question, it was one of the most significant, but we had seen, seen cash shortages in the business before. We had, um, even though it was a competitor of ours that had the most significant issues, we had issues over managing allergies in the restaurants. Um, that was a particularly stressful time, actually, as well. Um, so I think we've had a whole series of uh, of issues. But I would say, yeah, looking back on it, this was probably one of the, the most significant, yes. And uh, last year, mid-pandemic, you agreed to sell Leon restaurants. Uh, was this something you'd been looking to do for a while? Was it right, okay, you know, time to get out, I've had enough? Uh, what, what was the, what was your hand forced? Were you, were you planning on doing this anyway? Yeah. Um, we, we, it wasn't planned. It was slightly, op not opportunistic, but it was slightly out of the blue. Um, I think um, probably the, the people that bought it had uh, known Leon for a long time. They were two brothers that wanted to franchise Leon and ultimately uh, decided that they would better off, better off owning the brands that they built and rolled out rather than just franchising them. And so they had shown the interest for a while. So I think from their perspective, it wasn't new, a new idea, but we had not planned to sell. Um, and I think for, for me, I'd seen, I'd seen the UK government systematically wrecking our industry. Um, you can't blame them for wanting to have a decent minimum wage. You can't blame them for that. But when they also added on massive business rates increases, that literally when you've got a 4% net profit and there's a 4% of revenue increase in business rates, you know that that's going to wipe out profits. You know that, you know, when they don't put a cap on rents and when rents go out of control, which they did, and where you can have a whole series of shops in one street and one goes to a new precedent high because someone's, you know, a very rich billionaire's bought it for a member of their family in a non-market way the whole of the street gets re-precedented to that, to that level. You know, the law is definitely in the favour of the landlords and it has definitely across the last 10 years screwed the tenants in which, and then in turn it screwed the landlords. So it hasn't helped the landlords. So you know, we saw the UK government across the last seven years systematically doing things to the cost base of an industry that cannot include improve volume as a whole. Um, and uh, in 
where you can't really put prices up. And it wasn't an inflationary environment where you could put prices up. So, you know, they, 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 they delivered a blow to every single cost line. And then they delivered a blow to the revenue line as well through lockdown. So, you know, for me, I was like, what is this industry? This is such a tough industry, given what, you know, you used to wait to do your budget to see what the government was going to make the minimum wage next year. So all of the cost items were outside the control of the board. They were all in the hands of the government. So in the end, quite frankly, I thought this is an industry which um, is very problematic. Um, and I think if you see the number of people that have basically gone under or the amount of recapitalization of people like Pret-a-Manger, where JAB have had to recapitalize Pret-a-Manger or, you know, these companies have gone to the wall in other, in other examples, I think it's been a very difficult time. And so for me, we know when we were made the offer, I was actually at the point where I was like, you know, I've done 17 years of this. It's a decent enough amount of money to be open with you that it was worth exiting. But I loved the brand. I love the brand still. I love the people. And it was not the expectation to sell. But you're happy to be out of it by the sounds of it. Yeah, I'm happy to be out of it now. I'm not, I, I don't have the sort of uh, seller's remorse that I think I expected to. You know, I expected to be very upset not running and owning Leon. And although I love the people, I love the brand, actually, the daily stresses of it, I don't miss, to be open. <laughs> and of course, you mentioned a lot of restaurants uh, have gone to the wall. You know, I'm sure the streets of London and other cities are paved with the carcasses of, of restaurant groups that yeah. have tried and ultimately failed. Why do you think Leon Restaurants succeeded? But you know, after, I, after we sold it, I did a little bit of a... Uh, an assessment it's not uh, of you know what we did well and what we did badly i think there's probably a longer list of what we did badly but i can so i can talk to you about things we did well i think we we really focused on the customer and we decided that we had a, a pretty um focused attention on sticking to a, a very core mission which was to create fast food that tastes good and does you good so everyone in the company knew that that was the only reason we were there um, you know, we called it if God did fast food or fast food in heaven. So I think the first thing is we had a very clear understanding of why everyone was running or going to work in the morning. Uh, and the second thing is I think we we were very true to that in our in our food principles, um, and we absolutely had a maniacal I guess focus on not letting anything go out the door that didn't taste great. Uh, in our view, I don't know whether everyone would agree, but in our view, it tasted great and met certain criteria. And then I think we just had a bunch of people that really cared and worked really hard. Um, and I think there was a, a sort of a performance culture internally of people that would work. You know, it's not good. But, you know, I used to be able to ring people at 11 p.m. at night and they'd answer their phones and vice versa. Or, you know, Saturday and Sunday, um, Sabbaths allowing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we had an incredible, incredible camaraderie amongst the, the teams. So I think that those, those were the, those are the things we did well. There's a longer list of what we didn't do well. And now kind of Leon is, I guess, past, part of your past. Uh, what are you up to now? What are your plans for the future? What are you focused on? Well, I'm I principally am focused on uh, a similar mission to Leon, but probably in different sectors. So I'm focused on, I guess, making it easier for everybody to, to eat and live well. Um, and I guess that's focused on... Um, allowing us to remember our right relationship with ourselves, each other and the planet. And I think that COVID has reminded us of that need rather than made that need 
uh, go, you know, decrease. I think as humans, we've forgotten to relate properly to um, uh, our communities. I think that works better in certain communities than it does in other communities. Um, and um, I think we've remembered or misremembered or, or we need to remember our relationship with the earth as well. Because I think sometimes we think that we're somehow divorced from the planet on which we live. And we know for various rational reasons and various spiritual reasons that we need to re-engage. So I'm looking at uh, creating a company called The Long House, which is really a um, named after the Long Houses cultural appropriation alert uh, lived in by the Iroquois Confederacy of Tribes. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in them because they thought about every decision in terms of how it impacts seven or so generations from now. So they really thought very much long term with the, uh, the, the impacts that they have on the world around them and society. Uh, and so I want to create just like a long house, you know, used to have 10, 12, 15 families uh, up, up to those sorts of numbers of families in a long house. That's the idea of creating a series of companies which have that mission that I don't always start, that I don't always have to worry about in the bath, but partner with people that do, some of which we start to have an Ed Can Help, which is a sound therapy for mental health, which we are uh, launching, which has already uh, in a non-app format looked after the well-being, mental well-being of 500 people, dramatic results. It's a sound therapy. I have a business called Winnie Not Fighting about the book that I wrote uh, to support people uh, with, um, again, mental health. And I have a business called Ava. Uh, funny story about that. Actually means sort of, I think in Hebrew it sort of means, or certain uh, dialects, it means earth or Eve. Um, um, and because um, I thought Adam was too masculine. Um, so I have a brand called Ava, which is all about plants and what plants can do through food, beauty, uh, mental health, medicine, etc. So that's another business that we're doing. So all under the Longhouse banner. Sounds, uh, sounds like you're keeping yourself busy. Uh, in terms of, I, I think I read that you got the idea for, for Leon uh, while you were working as a consultant at Bain. But yeah, I, I don't think, I know that previously you had a dance and music events you hosted at Cambridge. Uh, was that your first kind of entrepreneurial venture? Where were you kind well, of... yeah, I mean, my, my first job actually when I was at Haberdashers was working for my uncle's uh, agency at the Old Bailey. Um, so basically, as a journalist, age 14 to 21, I was a journalist. So, Elliot, I'm not as good as you. Uh, but I used to, I, I was the only person in my first job that did longhand. So literally, I was in these court cases where all the other journalists would do a scribble every five minutes, or it seemed to me, doing Pitman, a lot of shorthand. And I was having to write out longhand all of the, all of the stuff. So 14 to 21, I did like murder cases, rape cases, terrible, awful cases. Um, so it was a bit of an eye-opener for me um, every holiday um, as a journalist at the Old Bailey. But then at university, um, yeah, I'd had a sound light and an events business. And I actually, same, although I was, I was at P&G and Bain, I had this business on the side and I was earning more from the business than I was from my day job. Um, so that could, I don't know whether people are thinking that's why you were so crap at your other jobs. But and I was, you know, I was uh, I was having to juggle a few things at the time. But yes, I had a sound and light business, then P&G, then Bay, and then a few other businesses as well. Uh, and uh, I mean, when you were at Habs, what, what, was there any indication that that you were going to go on and, and become an entrepreneur? Was that well, I don't know about you, Elliot, but did you do, was there any indication that you would be a journalist at Habs? Not even until I graduated. That's when I decided. Okay. So, so I, I've got this theory that 
you can pretty much tell someone's character and they're by the age of about 21, certainly. Uh, and I think mine was probably a little bit earlier. I mean, I used to organize parties and events at uh, Haberdashers. And I remember one of my favorite things was sitting over the um, shoulder of people that could actually design uh, branding on the computer, uh, in the computer room. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, doing basically aged 14 to, to, to 18, what I do now, which was, you know, creating brands, uh, working with designers that could actually uh, do the graphics for them. And I did that throughout university as well. I mean, three friends of mine at university, I know we're talking about Habs, but, you know, through three founders of Innocent Smoothies, you know, Adam used to run around at university getting the, the drinks from the cash and carry for our events. Richard Reed did the branding and John Wright did the, the treasury for the Mayball. And if you look at Innocent, you know, John Wright did the finances and general management. Adam Ballon managed the trade and the cash and carry and Richard did all the branding. So I think you can look back at people at a relatively young age and, uh, and, and predict what they were going to do. And I, I, I mean, about your member earlier, we were at Habs when being an entrepreneur was, you know, certainly in North London, a lot of the parents were entrepreneurs um, uh, or professionals, I guess, but some were entrepreneurs. And I think we, Habdashers, I think it's quite a creative and entrepreneurial culture. Uh, I think that we're good at kind of finding shortcuts where, where others, you know, would potentially go down, go around the long the long way. So I don't know. It might be that I'm misremembering, but I, f I felt that you know humor was a big currency, uh, but also being quite creative was a currency when I was there. Anyway, I felt. And did you feel that your kind of entrepreneurial, I don't know, uh, um, inklings were, were were encouraged? Were people encouraged to be entrepreneurial? How to specifically? to go and open businesses or do you think it was very much more focused on, you know, becoming professionals? And do you think maybe they should be more of a focus on becoming entrepreneurs and, you know, creating businesses? That's, that's a really good question. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I remember doing these careers tests. I don't know if you had to do them. I remember like firemen. Mine was random careers were on there, uh, which, which never came about. But, uh, but no, I didn't, I think I wanted to be a vet until I realized I had to do science or all science A levels. I did chemistry, yeah. but I couldn't do biology or maths. And then it was kind of, okay, maybe I won't be a vet. Well, I, I, I don't, I think that I, I, I remember being in that test. God, do you remind me? I remember being in that test and it was like, name as many things as you can in a minute that are round. And I was like, Oh, are we talking spherical or just round? Do you know what I mean? So I, remember, I remember thinking, wow, you're really basing my career's choice off some really weird questions here. And I remember, I remember the results coming from that career test that we did. And I think it said, you should be in HR. Right? That was what it said to me. And I was like, wow, looking back on it now, I would be the worst person. I mean, maybe on the culture side, but having to manage like pensions and contracts. So I think I'd be, so I'm not sure that back in the eighties, those career things were that good. But to ask, answer your specific question about was it encouraged? I don't know about you, but I, I think that if, we, if you remember the time that we were there, um, I think North London is, in inverted commas, North London is quite a creative, entrepreneurial place on the one hand. But on the other, there is lots of parental pressure to be a doctor or an accountant or a professional. So I think though both those things exist in parallel. You know, if you think about this was, you know, we had faith 
well, some of us did, in sort of Thatcher giving opportunities for entrepreneurialism and entrepreneurialism was uh, was encouraged. And obviously there was one entrepreneur in the country at the time who was called Richard Branson. <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, like many people, I read The Virgin King. I should have been building businesses, but instead I read about... Gerald Ratner as well. Pardon? Gerald Ratner as well. Oh, we had Gerald Ratner. Yeah, we had Gerald Ratner. Yeah, exactly. And some guy that probably owned the tie rack or someone. Um, so, but I, I felt at the time, I left with this impression that entrepreneurs could positively disrupt society. And I guess rightly or wrongly, I think rightly, let's discuss, you know, people like Branson were quite interesting role models because they leave, they, they, they seemed to mix alternative lifestyle with making some money to enjoy it and maybe contributing positively to society. So those were some of the role models that I had at Habs. And certainly that wasn't discouraged. I don't know about you, but I felt that I was able to, um, uh, things like the events that we did there, um, they were encouraged rather than discouraged. And you know, to make them commercial and to get people to pay money for them. I remember, I remember doing some out, quite a lot out of that outside university as well. And I think, look, if you think about the levers that you have to make money, then it was events. Now probably a kid can stay at home and make a trillion dollars on social media, but or doing whatever that or venting a computer game. or something. Not right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard to lose it. Um, I mean, I know you're also obviously involved in a lot of extracurricular activities at Haberdashers, um, but as a former goalkeeper for the Habs water polo team, I was especially oh. excited to see that you were also a water polo player. Were, were you? A... Well, I was a goalkeeper. So how did you? Well, I was. A... I, I'm no, what was what, what was the name of the teachers? Oh, well, I had Mr. Hyde, but the previous teacher, I think, tragically died a, a few he, years. He did. He died of AIDS, didn't he? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you have to edit that bit out. He was a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm curious to know, um, you know, you, you were a water polo player as well. Yeah, or... I found it easier in the shallow end. <laughs> I mean, like, literally, when you're able to tread water for that long in the deep end. I think in proper water polo, there's only two deep ends, right? Yes. It's not a shallow end with a low gut. No, there is not. Oh, I carried on playing. I, I captained uh, my, uh, the University of Nottingham, so it was all, it was all deep. But I mean, were you... Uh, my favourite thing was trying to score as the goalkeeper from the shallow end because you could stand up and throw the ball. I did score a couple of goals from goal. Right. Uh, but I mean, goal, goalies, in my experience, were always pretty, pretty fair because there, there wasn't much kind of stuff you could get up to under the water like the other players did. Were you, were you quite a fair player? Were you kind of getting up to all sorts of so. uh, indiscretions under the water? So. I think so. I mean, your white water polo is pretty vicious, isn't it? Yeah. I only had a couple of fights. I think I, I had more fights in water polo than I ever did outside. Has anyone ever drowned in one in water polo? I, I'm sure it's happened, but not, not yeah. when I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's been. Uh, there's oh, I been I ho I ho I'd hope I was fair. There's been blood and other things, and uh, I once got once got uh, attacked by a six foot six. I think it was a, I think it was the police team. They were like the most violent people when you played. Wow, them. wow, and, and stuff. But anyway, uh, but you were also well. captain of the athletics team. Um, oh yeah, uh, you were also an. You were captain of athletics, were you? No, 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 no. I, I did run. Well, how, how do you know that I was? Did I write it down? No, no, no. We've got archivists at. Uh, oh, well done. Dish up all the dirt on you. So I understand you were captain of the athletics team. You're also yeah. a bit of an actor, debater. You were a committed Royal Navy cadet in the CCL. Wow, you were actually a school captain as well. You I'm kept doing clean stuff. How on earth did you have time for all of this? Do you know what? I was really busy. 
And I look back, I mean, the, the Christmas before we had to, when I had to, when I did my university interviews, I look back at that week. Oh, my God. I had a school captain, had a speech, a massive speech on the Wednesday. I had a big speech this morning on Friday. I think I had my Cambridge interview that week. We had four performances of the, the, the play uh, that we were doing. Um, I think it might have been Godspell, actually. Um, I, think it, I think it was. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we or maybe not. Um, I had uh, to organise the Old Folks Christmas Party, as it was called, the Old Folks Christmas Party, and, and, I, and, and something else as well. I remember thinking, my God, that is, the, I don't think I've ever had a, a week that busy in my working life. Um, but yes, I did, I did enjoy doing a number of things. I, there's a personality profiling tool called the Enneagram. I don't know whether you know it, uh, but in it, I'm equally a challenger and an enthusiast. The challenger is my biggest fear is being controlled by others. And as an enthusiast, my biggest fear is having empty space in my diary and not filling it up. Uh, there are deep personal reasons why one does that, psychological reasons. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed a, a wide number of things. And I found school was great from that perspective. So I guess that was all the good stuff. I'm guessing from your interjection that there was some uh, uh, perhaps naughty stuff that went on as well. Can you share any of the uh, your most egregious infractions? I can hint at them. So Simon Sharma told us he had the world record for the longest number of, simul of consecutive uh, uh, detentions. Um, oh, but, that's uh, good. Wow. A, maybe that was a record that someone broke. Demerits, as they say in School of Rock. Demerits. Uh, no, I could. Let's, let's. Can you? Maybe if maybe if we warm up, I can. I can be convinced to. Uh, yeah. Look, I tell you, what, there was. I was lucky as a school captain. I got. I. I, I was given an office. And. Uh, and no, no, let's let's talk about something. No, 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 please. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about something else. Let's talk about oh, something what else. in the office there. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about something else. It's a nice day. What's the? It's a nice day. It's a nice day. It's cold. It's a nice day. <laughs> well, well, I do understand. One thing I have got down here is that that you were perhaps not always the easiest pupil to handle. You once got thrown out of a lesson for doing an impression of Dickens writing four novels at once. Can you? Can do you know you what? I, 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 I look back on. Do you know, you know the principle of prefects in Rome was they like in any in any it's like an MBE right? It's like when you enfranchise the rebels like Spartacus in order to kind of uh, make sure there are no rebellions. And I think if you look at the prefect system in Rome, it literally was to take the potential rebels and make them part of the establishment to support the establishment. So that's basically what the prefect system is, right? In any school, it's, it's the next layer of control. Um, it's the way of the school uh, enfranchising the sixth form that otherwise could actually start to undermine the system, to reinforce the system. And we see it in every area of society, right? Including MBEs and OBEs and all that, and knighthoods and all that sort of stuff. But um, I I feel that I could have possibly, if I hadn't been enfranchised with, you know, things like the school captain thing, I probably possibly could have turned out a bit more rebellious, if that makes sense, because I, I have ADHD and I think I had it then, but it was undiagnosed. And so I think I was I had a tendency to to sort of speak my mind, a tendency to um, potentially be a bit rebellious. But I did have a great sense of. I knew that, like many people have, actually, the sacrifices that my parents had gone to to get me to the school. 
So I also felt probably uh, an inbuilt intrinsic as well as extrinsic desire to, to do well and to not be too much of a rebel. So I probably had this sort of character tension. I mean, to, to answer your specific question about the Dickensian thing, I mean, I remember Mr. Fitch was very lovely guy. And I remember him saying, Vincent, if you say one more thing, I'm going to throw you out of the, uh, the class. And then the next thing he said was he talked about Dickens was writing up to four novels at once. So I just sat there and kind of did this impression of someone with their with their feet and their hands right in the walls. And he goes, Vincent, get out. And so that was the kind but that but that to me, that was what that was what our school was about. That kind of that kind of humour. And I think if we look back and we were lucky, weren't we, to have people like Sasha Barenko and Dan Mazer, his producer, or Matt Lucas, or you know, the funniest of them all, Chris Little, who who isn't famous but is as funny as any of them. Um, I think we had that kind of currency i think it wasn't a school where necessarily the biggest people that could beat other people up were valued i think it was people that had a wit that can kind of do something with it i don't know about what you think elliot but i felt that that was the reason we produced so many people like matt lucas or sasha well i think i have uh, i have mixed memories of my time there but uh, but yeah certainly uh, uh, i mean i was also not the smallest person so so i guess uh, guess that helped in a way but but i i understand that you said to, to ask you something about mr hambridge in a cupboard or something what, what, what's no i did did i i said you said to me i don't know why i even wrote that <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean yeah i mean i feel bad now. i mean mr hambridge was the loveliest guy but he, he did we for some reason there was a year in which we we were a bit naughty and our english class it was um there was a guy called simon green who <laughs> He was. He maybe had a double English, and he spent ninety-five percent of the whole lesson inside the cupboard, and then burst out with two minutes to go singing the A-team, the A-team theme tune. And then the next time, Simon Green wasn't in the lesson, so we all decided to start to look, you know, subtly at the cupboard. And Mister Mister Hambridge went over to it and kind of like ceremoniously flung the doors open uh, to the cupboard thinking that Simon was going to be there and he wasn't. And that was just as funny as the fact that he'd been there before. So it was, it was those little things I think kept us amused. Um, and the, and the office now is now a good time to, to reintroduce. No, we're not warmed up yet. We're not warmed up yet. We're, 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 <laughs> we've got a more questions. Um, I'll try, okay. I'll try and, I don't know. I don't know. All right, we can well, make it cryptic. Your, your, your final school report actually stated that you made a, and I'm quoting here, a superb commitment to school life. Um, how do you get access to this? Are you in Mossad? <laughs> I mean, how do you get, how do they have, is <laughs> that not GDPR? I'm joking, I'm joking. They employ archivists there, so. Oh, right, um, well. But, uh, but I mean, how, uh, on a serious, I mean, how important would you say your time at Habs was for, for your becoming the person that you became? Do you think that if you'd have gone to the local comp, you'd have, uh, you know, just plod along and done something else. I know it's impossible to tell with that time machine, but uh, how yeah, integral? Personally, I think I, um, you know, I, I loved school. I had some amazing teachers. I think, you know, the school did really well in, in well, I don't know. I'm not, everyone, not, not everyone agrees with me, right? So we have debates with people, but I thought the school was great. I thought that I loved my time there. I think it definitely formed my character um, and not just, the teachers, although they were pivotal, not just the the heads, uh, you know, Bruce McGowan and Keith Dawson, but also 
Alan Watts, if you know Alan Watts, says school is somewhere you send your children to be brought up by other children. And I think that I think the peers and the kind of the, the type of people that were there um, were the type of people that I really kind of respect and value today. And I think that people were given a relatively good set of morals. Um, I think there was also a work hard, play hard culture that I respect um, and respected at the time. And um, I think it was uh, it, it created people that question authority rather than just go along with authority. Um, and I think that's healthy as well, especially today. Now a woman has been fired from Citigroup for refusing, uh, even though she's had COVID, to take a vaccine. I think haberdashers type values are required right now rather than going along with the general witch hunting of people that make a choice about their own bodies uh, and i can't believe that not more people aren't standing up and saying whatever you think about vaccines themselves i think we should all have a, a point of view about vaccine mandates irrespective of what our views of vaccines are and uh, i'm hoping that you know the type of values that we got taught at haberdashers are open your eyes to the sorts of things that are going on today because they're quite serious. I'm sure that's a rabbit hole we could uh, go very deeply into to, to, dis to discuss more. Um, but I mean, the final question, obviously, before I ask you again what happened in the office was, <laughs> what, what, what advice uh, would you give to budding entrepreneurs at Habs or, or indeed anywhere else? People that, have, whether it's in restaurants, in fintech or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, what, would you, what advice would you give? Um, I think that uh, the biggest advice is, 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 the, is the role of persistence and perseverance. Um, I'd also say that the key thing that any budding entrepreneur must do, and it's absolutely critical, is to read my book, Winning Not Fighting. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely key, absolutely key. Um, um, but I would say the, the principle of, uh, let, let's just summarize it in three words have a really, really clear touchstone about what your business can do. With Leon, it was if God did fast food, right? So, so that's always a, a North Star that you can follow. Uh, secondly, um, persevere, because there will be all sorts of things that you perceive as bad luck and potentially debilitating events that will turn out not to have been. Just get over it and, and be persistent. And the third thing is definitely surround yourself in every area with people that are better than you. It's a cliche, but it's true because you are, you may be the founder of a business. But you are definitely not necessarily the most important or key person in your business. So really without an ego, surround yourself with great people because they will see you through. Okay. Um, so I've got some uh, rapid fire questions for you. Just Habs, which I think you, you, you may have answered. It's 80s email, pop but... music. Yeah. Okay. So, Call this one the big asks. So uh, what year did you leave the school? 1990. Uh, did you enjoy your time there? Yes, loved it. And who was head of the school when you were at Habs? Uh, Keith Dawson and Bruce McGowan before that. Okay, yeah, I think uh, Keith Dawson was my, my head as well. Um, who, who were your favourite teachers and, and what did they teach? Oh, right. So I loved uh, Mr. Lotherington. Uh, he was a brilliant history teacher. Um, Mr. Ratchew, English. Oh, my God, I'm going to leave some people out. Um, uh, also, Mr. Griffiths was key, uh, another history person in helping me go to university. Um, uh, I would say 
as well. Mr. Haler was key. Paul Haler, he was my house master in, I mean, the best house ever. I mean, like the best house, the best house, the most beautiful house, uh, Calvert's. So I think he was really, really instrumental, you know, over time. Mr. Coral, who was a key form teacher. Uh, also, I would say Mr. Parr and Mrs. Hackford, they put up with me in Latin. Um, I, yeah. Um, uh, even though, even despite us laughing when a German guy called Dominic Wilhelm joined and the, the Latin for pine trees, penis, and he literally was talking grammatically about where it fitted into the section and asked Mrs. Hackford, where does the penis fit in? Uh, which I thought was a fantastic question. So she managed to put up with us. You know, there were people like Mr. Barry in athletics and, and Mr. Davis in, in rugby. So I would say we had amazing teachers overall. Uh, and did you interact much with students at the other school? That's where the office comes Ah, in. I thought it might. <laughs> we were lucky the office had no windows. <laughs> wow. So you were, you were uh, uh, like uh, uh, reaching out to... Uh, outreach. 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 I, I engaged in a number of outreach projects. Very good. Did you ever get caught in any of these outreach projects? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right well, we're going, we're, we have to edit all this shit out we'll have to edit all we, this out we'll edit we're not going to ask you to name names uh, have you um have you kept in touch with your old school mates uh yeah i mean i have people like elliot moss uh who's uh head of calvert's ahead of me uh still work with him do some work with him great guy um another elliot do you remember that there was more than one elliot at our school elliot i had three ones in my maths class did you so really well we had we had an alphabet in our in our test. It went lil, little, lil, little. So I don't know why they put little, lil, and little all in the same bloody form for a laugh, probably. Um, but um, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, uh, oh by the way, Mr. Yeavesley, got to mention him. Do you remember him? Yes, I remember. Yeah, he chemistry was, and cricket. Uh, pardon? Chemistry and cricket. Chemistry and cricket. I don't know, maybe cricket and chemistry in that order. I don't know. Um, and so who else? Uh, Chris Little, who one of the Lil, Little and Littles, a hilarious guy. Um, Kosti Stavrinakis, who became a doctor. Dominic Wilhelm, who's the, where does the penis fit in? Mrs. Hackford person. Uh, he, I did an event <coughs> business with him. Uh, so yeah, so those are, those are some of them. But uh, I, I wish, I wish, to, I wish I'd kept up with more, you know, to be honest with you. I think, I don't know about you, but I think people tend to, stayed with their university friends a little bit more than school. I think school isn't necessarily always the place that you uh, manage to find people that to, to, uh, to stick with. But I'm, I would like to you know, get back in touch with more, more of them, actually. After they see your performance today, I'm sure they'll... Uh... <laughs> they'll think, that idiot, he's they'll just be... as much of a cock as he was at school. <laughs> they'll be reaching out. Mr. Yves, for some reason, with Mr. Yves, they haven't for chemistry uh, once or twice. Uh, I remember him saying he ate a cooked breakfast every day, and that was why he'd never had a cold. Well, oh, that's um... brilliant. There we go. I wonder if he's got COVID. <laughs> I'm not sure he's... Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, what the situation is. Okay, not sure, not sure. But... By the way, Mr. Yves, he once, very quickly, there was a kid who said that the homework he'd left it at home. And Mr. Yu said, no worries, we'll drive there. And the kid's like, uh, he goes, no, 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 at lunchtime, I'll drive you to your house, no problem. And you could see this kid slowly crumbling as he, as he lost confidence in his story. So Mr. Yu said, not stupid, not stupid. Excellent. Uh, and just finally, uh, John, uh, do you have a recent accomplishment uh, you'd like to mention? I know you mentioned a few things about what you're, you're up to now. I don't, know if well, I don't really want to wang on about my book. Winning, winning, not fighting, because that would be rude. That would be rude. 
so I would say I would say that's probably my current accomplishment. And also, the, the, I can highly recommend a mental health sound-based therapy that I'm doing called Ed Can Help, which is uh, a, a transformatory um, sound therapy for mental health, from like the mildly anxious all the way through to PTSD. So that's something which I'm really passionate about. It's had huge impact on people's lives because you, you can't necessarily outthink uh, trauma. Actually, it's embedded in your nervous system, in your subconscious. So talking therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy has its, has its role. But sometimes, or quite often, you have to work on the, the unconscious and on the central nervous system. Uh, so that's something else that I'm really fascinated by at the moment. Okay. Well, uh, we're kind of out of time, unfortunately. So uh, John Vincent, uh, co-founder of Leon Restaurants, uh, author of Winning Not Fighting in case... Oh, thanks for mentioning it. It's nobody noticed. And <laughs> former, former uh, school captain at Habs. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us, uh, to speak to me on the We Are Habs podcast. Thanks, Elliot. And uh, if uh, everyone watching uh, or anyone watching would like more info about our guests or the school, uh, please visit www.habsboys.org.uk or gotkin.com. You can follow us on your favourite social media at Habs or at Elliot Gotkin or at eGotkin. And we'll be back again next time with another celebrated old haberdasher. And we do hope you'll join us again then. Stay safe. Bye bye.